0: Man, thank you, brother Warren, and brother Warren, you did good for not having a chance to that there now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, if you turn with me tonight to Revelation and the Revelation, chapter eighteen, Revelation chapter eighteen. That'll be the place for our study tonight, and um, I'm preaching on the subject again tonight. Uh, the, uh, on the soul, about the soul. And you know that I shared with you uh, from that passage of Scripture uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And Paul's prayer there was, what an awesome prayer it is. He said, I pray that your spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that an awesome prayer or what? And I had told you if you want to pray for me, then that's that would be a good request. And of course, I've been preaching for a long time on Sunday nights about sowing to the Spirit, and one of the most awesome ways we can do that is in our praying. And uh, because it is the Holy Spirit that moves us uh, to that which we are to pray for. And so I had began to share with you the faculties of the soul. I shared with you what the spirit is. The spirit is that part of man that God communes with or that we commune with God. That's, that's all the spirit is. And unsaved people are dead. That spirit is dead. They have a spirit but it has natural life and not divine life. And what happens to a person when God saves them is the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells the human spirit. That's where he lives. He lives there. Not the soul, not the body, but the spirit. And so when God saves someone, he gives them spiritual life. And that's what it means to be born again. Be born again. And you might remember that I shared with you two uh, passages of Scripture. They are both in the book of 1 John. And um, they are in uh, chapter number 3 and chapter number 4. And here's what they say. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he giveth. Does that sound like God's people know they're saved? You better believe it does. It is how you know that. And then in chapter 4 and verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his Spirit. So that's the Spirit. But then the soul is... uh, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the three parts of man. And we know that the body, the Bible would teach us, we would know it anyway, are the senses. The sight, the hearing, the taste, the touch, and and those things are, are the body. That's what the body is. And so, uh, even the lust of the flesh, it comes from the soul. And the body is just the avenue or tool by which that uh, happens. And so uh, the, the, the soul. Now in looking this up <clears throat> I found this passage scripture in Revelation chapter 18 and I don't know whether I'll get to the next category. Last Sunday night I shared with you uh, the, the, uh, the fact that the emotions are in the soul. Now you remember That I gave you scripture after scripture after scripture. Love is in the soul. Hate is in the soul. Bitterness is in the soul. Fear is in the soul. Troubles is in the soul. Grief is in the soul. And joy is in the soul. Now if you didn't write those verses of scripture down that I gave you, I'll gladly show you this little piece of paper here and you can write them down. And you can go look it up. All of those things the Bible says are in the soul. In the soul. And so, I was going to move to the next part, and that is the appetite. The appetite is in the soul. It's not in the body. Even though the Bible says it's flesh, the flesh, the lust of the flesh, that appetite is in the soul. It's only carried out uh, by the body. And then, uh, in the 18th chapter, I was looking up a verse of Scripture, And uh, in this 18th chapter, I I have been asked about this, about Babylon. And what is the meaning of Babylon in the book of Revelation? Well, I thought maybe I might just share with you something along that line. And if we get far enough, I'll share with you how the parts of the appetite that's in the soul. Now, the appetite, there's a verse of Scripture in this chapter And then due to interest in in that, the very subject of Babylon, I thought that I'd use that passage of Scripture uh, to bear that out. And it's in the 14th verse. And I'll go ahead and read this verse because it says this. And the fruits that thy soul lusteth after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. Now, now, uh, and I want you to note how that says that. It is the fruits that are, that thy soul lusteth after. So when you think about lusting after, and, and of course the Bible tells us, it defines the world for us, it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is those three things that are a part of the world. It pass away, but and and be careful that your whole life ain't made up that way, because if it is, that's all you're going to have left one day. So, so uh, the soul lusteth after. So it is the soul that lusteth after uh, those things that are goodly in life. And so, I wanted to share with you uh, something of. What this chapter introduces. I'd like to call your attention, if I could, to the first five verses of chapter 18. And here's what it says And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And it has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. Now, when somebody reads that, if you, if you would just sit out in reading that passage of Scripture, you would start to think, wait a minute, Babylon fell a long time ago. Babylon is fallen. It is. And you would recognize that in the book of Revelation, it's not talking about that Babylon. It's not what it's talking about. And uh, see, uh, Babylon was a country that uh, took the Israelites off into captivity for 70 years and mistreated God's people and all that and everything. But when you get to the book of Revelation, you find out right quickly that, of course, everybody knows, I'm sure, and I've shared this with you many times and I encourage you to think about this. When you start reading the book of Revelation, uh, you'll find that it says this. In chapter number one, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servant the things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. You can go look that word signified up if you want to. What it's saying is that everything God gave to John, he gave it to him in figurative language. Every bit of it. This whole book was written that way. Was written that way. And if you wanted to put a human uh, definition on what God was doing, when he was revealing to John, it would have been, that his people would have known the meaning of this but the Roman Empire would not have known. They wouldn't have been able to decipher that but his people could so it is in sign signifying by sign it is written. So here is a bad mistake that people make with the book of Revelation. They want to interpret it literally. I don't think Well, I won't say this because I really don't know for sure. I've never really checked it out. But I don't think anything may be literal in the book of Revelation. It is one of those books that were written uh, in uh, in, in sign language or sign by sign or figuratively and every bit of it means something else. Every bit of it does. Now, I can give you an example of that. There are people who are Uh, millennialists. And some of you may remember when Brother Ed Overby was, years ago, came and was teaching uh, on the book of Revelation. I learned so much from Brother Overby. Brother Overby was such a wise man on the book of Revelation. And I understand that uh, uh, there have been many uh, preachers who have been affected by his teaching. I've got, uh, I don't know, probably eight or ten books of his. Uh, and while I was a good close friend of him, I twisted his arm and got as much of his writing as I could get. And, and he, he's, uh, now I didn't agree with him about every little thing, but one of the things that he wrote was that people want to say the millennial period is a thousand years. Well folks, if you're going to interpret that literally, then how about you just jump in there and interpret every bit of the numbers in the book of Revelation literally. You say, but I can't do that. I know you can't do that. Nobody would believe that 144,000 are going to be in heaven except the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're the only ones. And they'll tell you in a heartbeat that that's how many people are, how many of them are going to go to heaven. (laughs) And they're wrong about that. And so, Uh, I tell people all the time, you be really, really careful about that. And I'm one that years and years ago, I was guilty of trying to do that. And over the years, God has helped me uh, with my thinking, my stinking thinking about that. He has helped me with that over the years related to these things in the book of Revelation and also in the book of Daniel one of the Wednesday night studies is going to be, uh, somebody asked me, Preacher, would you teach on the beasts in Revelation and Daniel? I said, yep, I wrote it right down. And, uh, and so it's coming sometime in the future, the beasts. And, and you might say, well, do you think they mean something other than literal? You better believe they do. Who in the world would ever think that a lion or a bear or a leper was literal. Nobody thinks that. But, but what people do is they want to interpret parts of it literal and parts of it figurative. And I got news for them. They're getting it wrong if they don't look at it as a book written in figurative language. And it means something else. And I will tell you this too. Over the years, I've been so blessed in realizing that Because I've seen truth I wouldn't have seen any other way had I not understood that. And so, uh, when someone comes here uh, to this, we would probably understand right quickly that this is not talking about literal literal Babylon. Not literal, but figurative. It's figurative. Babylon is here in this passage of Scripture. Now, uh, it's first mentioned in the book of Revelation in the 14th chapter. 14, chapter 14, uh, let's see. Uh, I know that's in my Bible, I've read it. Chapter 14 and um, in the 7th verse. And here's the first time that you find it listed. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea and the fountains. Let's see, it's verse 8. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, if we take that figuratively, then we might say, well, surely I'd want to know what that means. And there, I've been asked many, many times about that. And I point out, too, that not only there... But also it is found in chapter 16 and verse 19. I'd call your attention to that one. And i got to tell you, this really gets interesting because it says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So this is one where it did come to God's attention about Babylon of old. And so this is special language that is implemented by God himself to have a meaning, have a, a really important meaning. Now if you want to look with me uh, again in the 17th chapter, and 17 and verse number 5. This may be one of the most telling passages related uh, to Babylon that we have in verse five. Now, now I want to I want to take the time to share with you that I- anybody knows that chapter seventeen is a powerful chapter because it's talking about a woman. There's a woman introduced in the seventeenth chapter, and she is a harlot. I called her a whore one time, and somebody was making fun of me, and said, "Preacher, I believe you liked using that word." Well, they're the same thing. There's no difference. And I would remind you that in the Bible, God calls his church, uses female gender for his church. His church is she, and this she is not his church. It's not his. And it's abundantly clear. I'll start reading in verse number one. And there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials and talked with me. and it, Come hither and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore. Now if you say preacher you used a bad word when you said that. I just want to tell you that in this book of Revelation his words in there. And that's what she was period. That sitteth upon many waters. And I wish I could remember what the many waters is, but I think that it is, um, I can't remember the verse, but what many waters is, is a lot of people. That's what it is in the book of Revelation. That's more of that figurative language. Isn't the book of Revelation an awesome and interesting book? It surely is. And uh, so it says in verse two with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. That's not literal. That's spiritual. There is spiritual adultery in the Bible. Spiritual fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made to drink with the wine of her fornication. This is talking about the impact that she's had on others. And he goes on to say, so he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting Upon a scarlet covered colored beast. That's one of those beasts. And see if you want to know about who this beast is. You're going to have to be sure you're here on Wednesday night. <laughs> because you'll miss it if you're not. Full of the names of blasphemy. Having seven heads and ten horns. You know when we get to that. I'm going to tell you exactly what the meaning of that is. Seven heads and ten horns. You might say, there's no way anybody can know that. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. And um, verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and f- filthiness of her fornication. Now, I'd like to get tore loose in that and share with you uh, what I have learned over the years related to that. You know, I've been in other parts of the world. I think if I'm not mistaken, it might have been in Jerusalem. Visiting a shrine was what it was. And it was a Catholic church. It might have been uh, of the nativity or whatever. And I had my camera around my neck, and they stopped me at the door and made me turn my camera in. You can get it when you leave, but you're not going to take pictures in here. And I couldn't help but think about this passage of Scripture because that was a pretty good description of what I saw. I have never seen anything like that. That beat all I have ever seen. And... uh and so, it's talking about her being arrayed in purple and scarlet colors. Uh, Preacher, you, you seem to be indicating that you believe the Roman Catholic Church might be described here. <laughs> I do. I mean, I really do. I wouldn't want to offend anybody, but I do. I do. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. And so, let's go on down. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Who in this world has killed more Baptists? You say, preacher, I didn't know they'd killed any Baptists. They've killed thousands and thousands and thousands. And all you have to do is get a little copy of the little booklet, Trail of Blood, and sit down and read that and you'll understand that there is a church in this world that has killed thousands of them. And so the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That's not to to admire like we think, but that word admiration means just shock. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, uh, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. And if you want to know what that means, the description of that beast, I'll teach on that. And the beast that thou sawest was, (laughs) listen to this, and is not, and shall ascend into the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell upon the earth wondered, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And then you know, I preach to you a lot of times, you know, I mean, I've heard preachers say, you know, come to the Lord and get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And I want to just get a hold of them and shake them right real hard and say, why in the world have you not been reading the Bible? Why have you not? Because all the names that are written in the Lamb's book of life were written there before the foundation of the world. That's when they were written there. You say, you mean that everybody going to heaven is going to be people whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because it's Scripture. It is the Bible. It is the Bible. So, when it comes to the 18th chapter, we have here, uh, and at the beginning of the chapter, and I read the first five verses there, uh, I'll also read verse 9 and verse 10 and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, "Alas, alas, the great city of Babylon, the mighty city uh, the mighty city for in one hour is judgment come." And verse 11 says, and the merchants, now that's an interesting word, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. You know, every once in a while, I haul off and tell you, and I warn you, matter of fact, I want to say to everybody here tonight, and anybody that might be tuned in. You really ought to have enough food supplies to last you a month or so. You really should. I'm not a you. You say preacher. You're a prepper. <laughs> well, I might be, but I want to tell you something. If nothing else, get you a, a five-gallon bucket that you can put a lid on and fill it full of soup beans and put it away somewhere. <laughs> Hey, as long as you got soup beans, you are just going to live good. (laughs) I tell you all the time, I love soup beans. I do, I do. When I was a little boy, I I actually said this. When I grow up and get me a job, I'm not eating soup beans anymore. Guess what I had for dinner today? (laughs) I had beans for dinner. Guess what I'm going to have when I get home from church? I'm going to have beans again. And Sue is a bean cooker. Little chunks of ham is in there, you know, and everything. And she made cornbread, and she made what I like. is the cornbread sticks because they're all crunchy. And when I get all my beans to eat, I'll get me a glass of milk and crumble that cornbread up in there. When I was a little boy, I said, when I grow up and get me a job, I'm not eating them anymore. You all might think this is crazy, but I've eaten bean, soup beans for breakfast. You say, Preacher, you really do love them, don't you? I sure do. I have to tell you this story right quick. Yesterday evening, about 7 o'clock or so, Lowe's delivered our refrigerator. I told you about the refrigerator this morning. They delivered our new refrigerator. And these two fellas, uh, they were going to take our old one out and, and put our new one in. And I thought, Man, these must be some men to be able to get that. Well, they had this rig. I don't know how it worked, but they was able to strap that underneath and both of them get a one on one side and one on the other. They carried that like it was nothing. I'd never seen anything like that before. But anyway, when one of them come in, one could speak English. He come in and evidently he smelled our house. You know, our house really smells good. Most of the time. <laughs> He he evidently, he said, well, he said something to me about could he have supper. I didn't know whether he was kidding or not, you know. I just couldn't tell. Anyway, I whispered and told Sue while they was working in there, you know, what he said. She said, honey, do you think they're hungry? I said, no, I think he was just kidding. Next thing I knowed, she had gotten two paper plates out and piled on some of them beans she'd fixed and some ribs that she'd cooked and a bottle of water and napkin and they was out on the porch and she packed them out there on the porch. They, I tell you what, you'd think they hadn't had nothing to eat for a month. Man, they smacked their lips and they eat them beans and ribs and, and everything and then she, here she come with a little Debbie's cake for each one of them, you know, and everything. And when they come back in the house, that, that one that could speak English, he he shook my hand. I tell you what, it's been a long time since I've had a handshake like that. Last time I shake Warren's hand was the last time. But he said, oh, I want to thank you so much. And I'm going to, well, the ice maker wasn't right. So he said, they'll have to, somebody come back and put your ice maker in. And he took a card out and he wrote his name on that card. And he said, I want you to tell them when they call you to get me to bring your ice maker back. And steak would be good the next time. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. They loved them, beans just as much as I did. But praise the Lord. And she, I told Sue, I said, I think they was kidding. Well, let me tell you something. If she thinks somebody's hungry, they, they better not kid about that because she'll put it on them and fix them up and everything. And I thought that was, was kind of funny. But these merchants, is there going to come a time when you may not... You know something? If certain things happen, I know I've said this to you a lot of times. There, there, this, this passage of Scripture here very well could be describing something that might happen in our world. What would you do if you couldn't go to the store and buy bread? Well, have your five-gallon bucket full of soup beans. As long as you got that, you can build a far outside and cook them. You sure can. My mama used to cook beans out on a out on a, a far outside in an iron kettle. <laughs> oh man, I tell you what. I, I keep putting it off. I've not done it, but I keep putting off to write a book for all of my grandchildren about what life was like for me when I was a kid. And so you might say, well, preacher, I believe you're full of beans. Well, you'd be right if you did. (laughs) I've eaten them for breakfast. See, sometime when we fix soup beans, uh, we'll put them on about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and we'll boil the fire out of them. You know, you can cook the daylights out of soup beans until they start turning brown, and then you better cut it back because they'll burn. But they won't burn as long as they're not turning brown. And then we'll cut the fire back and slow the cook until we get ready to go to bed. And I'll take one or two of Sue's throws that she has on the couch, and I'll pull them off the burner, and I'll wrap them all up, And the next morning I'll check them and they'll be done and that's my breakfast. (laughs) Anyway, I apologize for telling another tale, but I can't help it. I just can't help it. But anyway, I wanted to bring this to your attention tonight related to that because of the interest in that. Now, if you have further interest in that, I would be glad to preach on it. I'd be glad to preach on it. But I just want to warn you about something. And I'm not, I'm not apologizing for anything. It's just the way it is. Uh, I've known uh, many a preacher that started out believing in dispensational premillennialism that in time they become an amillennialist. And I've become an amillennialist. You want to know what one is? I'll give you a piece of paper that describe what it is. I've become that. I know. I know, uh, Brother Ronnie, who was your pastor at South Irvin for a long time, or the Hassel. Brother Hassel Brother Hysel wrote his views one time, and Brother Steve Wainwright told me they changed. Brother Ed Overby convinced him that he was wrong, and his views changed. And sure enough, I got and he they did. Every preacher that I've known over the years went only one way. I've never known of one to go from amillennialism to dispensational premillennialism. I have never known one, but I have known bunches of them to go from dispensational. By the way, you say, preacher, when was that introduced? In the 1800s. I think it was 1836. 1836. You say, you mean that's a brand new? Yes, it is. And yet today, you go to the bookstores and they're packed full of books written about dispensational premillennialism. And I want to tell you something. I know, I told Brother Moore this not long ago. I don't believe that anymore. I really don't. And I'm an nominalist and I am going to tell you something right now. I can back up my beliefs 100%. And I thank God that He showed me something. And uh, so I just throw that out there to make you real curious. (laughs) I love questions. And if you've got any, well, I'm going to have to quit telling stories. I'm not going to be preaching anymore because I've told too many stories. So let's bow together. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you, oh God, that you bless your word. We thank you for an atmosphere where your word is loved and appreciated. And Father, we know that that is uh, one of the greatest signs of a true church that there is, that stand on the truth of the word. Now, Father, I pray you bless us as we close the service tonight. Speak to our hearts. Draw us close to thee if it's your precious will for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me now? while Brother Aaron leads us in a closing number.